Heavenly Father, it's a great privilege to hear your word, to read it together. Uh, But Lord, we pray now as we uh, reflect on what you've said in your word that you might um, open our minds and open our hearts and open our lives to what you have to say. Lord, help us to be people who, who keep an eye on our life uh, and also on our doctrine. Help us to be people who integrate those two. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, Adele, my wife and I, were uh, quite big fans of Jamie Oliver. Um, we love his style, we love his food, we love his energy and his excitement with food. Uh, and one thing I love about Jamie Oliver is the combinations of flavours that he puts together. Uh, when Jamie Oliver finds a winning combination, uh, what he says is he says that they love each other. So pork and sage, they love each other. Bacon and eggs, they love each other. Uh, apple and cinnamon, they love each other. Vegemite and honey, they love each other. Uh, now, I made that last one up, uh, but it's good, trust me. Go home and you try it. It's good. Uh, We won't be serving it at lunch, just in case you're worried. Um, Now, when it comes to following Jesus, there are combinations that we usually don't think go well together. Doctrine and love. Rich and deep theology and heartfelt worship. Right thinking about God and lovingly living for God. We're often made to think that these two things stand in opposition to one another, that they get in the way of each other, that you can have one but you can't have the other at the same time. And maybe for some of us this has been our experience. Maybe we've, we've met people who know their theology, maybe they even know the Bible in its original languages and they can confidently argue from the scriptures their, their, their doctrinal points of view they know big words. They know their infralapsarians from their superlapsarians. They can spot a Trinitarian heresy uh, in the wild at 100 yards. Maybe they've even been to Bible college. We, we know people like this, but they seem to lack love. They seem to lack compassion. Their theology seems to have absolutely no impact in their life or the world around them. They seem argumentative. They seem arrogant. They seem that to use their superior knowledge to make others feel second rate or to belittle them. Maybe they're even cagey to have anything to do with stuff that's outside their particular tribe or circles. And we've met people who are happier to debate points of doctrine than to say, turn up early to church to set up, or give to the poor, or teach little ones in kids' church. We've met people like this. We may be people like this. And to be honest, churches like ours, churches like ours that that pride themselves on having a a biblical basis, pride ourselves on having sound doctrine, churches like ours, we actually breed people like this more often than we should. All doctrine and no devotion, all theology and no doxology, all head and no heart. But is that right? Well, over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be digging into the Bible like we always do. Uh, but it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to be, uh, we, what we usually do here is we usually work through a book of the Bible. So we'll start in chapter 1 and we'll, we'll, we'll work through that passage. And then we'll move all the way through a book of the Bible. Um, 
but this term we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to do a series called Sound Doctrine and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the basics, the essential, the core beliefs of the Christian life. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about, about a whole topic rather than just bunking down in one particular book. Uh, and so we've titled this series Sound Doctrine, Theology for Doxology. That is, theology thinking about God so that we might express doxology, which is praise and glorifying God. Because any pure truth, any right understanding of God, it shapes us. It ought to transform us. It ought to lead us to worship and adoration and praise and a transformed life as God works in us by His Spirit. Because sound doctrine, it, it, it can't be sound doctrine at all unless... It leads to devotion. It cannot be theology at all unless it leads to doxology. It cannot be uh, information in the head unless it leads to a changed heart and a changed life. Because our heads and our hearts, our doctrine and our lives, they are connected. They cannot be separated. They should not be separated. And so if we're to consider, for this term, sound doctrine, it ought to be immensely practical. And that's why I want to begin in the series by looking at this little passage here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, it's here we see time and time again that right thinking about God, it ought to lead to right living for God. Right thinking about God ought to lead to right living for God. And now the book of 1 Timothy, if you're not familiar with it, it's one of Paul's letters to his young apprentice Timothy. Uh, along with a second letter to Timothy and another letter to Titus, uh, they make up the pastoral epistles uh, three letters from Paul to young leaders in his church. And the young Timothy here has been left responsible for the church in Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul is away. Uh, he's unable to be there. Um, and the church in Ephesus is actually in pretty bad shape and Paul's quite concerned about it. And the reason it's not in great shape is because there are some folks there who are teaching dodgy theology. And the dodgy theology is leading to dodgy living. And into that mess, Paul instructs the young Timothy and he tells him what to do and he tells him what to teach and there's some advice on uh, what he should instruct particular groups of people and there's advice on appointing leaders. Uh, but Paul also has some words of advice for Timothy himself. Uh, how is he to behave in this, in this situation where there's this, 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 this dodgy teaching taking place amongst the church that he is responsible for? And what Paul wants Timothy to be concerned about is two things. He wants him to be concerned about two things. He wants him to be concerned about his life and his doctrine. His life and his doctrine. Take a look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15. It says this. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Now, isn't it interesting that you know, for Paul, those two ideas, life and doctrine, those two ideas are connected. The way we live is connected to the way we think. What we do is connected to what we know. How we treat people, how we deal with our money, how we organize our time, how we make our decisions. It's all connected to what we believe about God. What we know about ourselves, what we know about the world around us, what we know about the people around us. Life and doctrine are connected, according to Paul. And so he says to Timothy, they're connected, and because they're connected, you need to watch them both. 
They need to stay in focus. Uh, now, before we go any further, uh, some of you might be wondering, like doctrine, it's a word that we use in churches, but what do you actually mean by doctrine? What is doctrine? Uh, and it's an important question. And just to put it simply, doctrine is an attempt to collate uh, the central themes of the Bible. It's where you kind of look at the whole Bible and try and distill what it says about a particular thing. I knocked up a really dodgy visual uh, yesterday that might be able to explain it. So you've got all the books of the Bible running across the top there and you can, you can pick a book of the Bible and you can dig deep into what it says and who its author is and its setting and each book will have its own message and purpose. Uh, but because we believe the Bible is the work of a divine author... It is the Word of God, the whole thing, from beginning to end. It means that we can look across the Bible and we can see what God has to say about a particular thing across the whole Bible. Like what God has to say about Himself or about Jesus or about the Spirit or about humanity or about creation. It's about working out what the whole Bible says about something. That's doctrine. That's systematic theology. And because God is consistent, because He doesn't change... It means that when we look across the whole Bible, we can expect to find a consistent message, a consistent idea. In Hebrews chapter 13, we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is consistent. He is the same. God is consistent. He doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't change his character. And so when we read the Bible from beginning to end, when we see the whole Bible from beginning to end, it's going to be consistent. It's going to say the same thing. It's going to be coherent because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, the theology nerds out there will, uh, will, will call this God's immutability. God's immutable. He doesn't change. And because doesn't, God doesn't change, it means that we can, we can do things like doctrine. We can, we can look at the Scriptures from beginning to end and see what God has to say on a particular thing. And, and because we can do that and because God is consistent, there's also the possibility of false doctrine. Things, things that, that people say about God or things that people say about the world that don't line up to God's unified revelation in the Bible. And Paul writes to Timothy, he doesn't want him to be naive about this. He doesn't want him to be naive about false doctrine. And so in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 4, we get the why. Why does Paul urge Timothy to watch his life and doctrine closely? So 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Why does he need to watch his life and doctrine closely? Well, verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times... Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such things come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So why does Timothy need to watch his life and doctrine closely? Well, because there is a war going on. There is a spiritual battle taking place. And one of the battlefronts in that war is true and false doctrine. Now, see, when it comes to working out how we live in this world and when it comes to working out uh, what is true and what is not, we're not working it out in a vacuum, Paul is saying. We don't have the luxury of sorting this out in neutral territory. There's no Switzerland you can go and hang out in. It's kind of neutral. There's no war going on there. So you can work out what is, uh, what, work out your life and doctrine. 
There is a war going on, Paul says, a spiritual battle. And one of the weapons in the devil's arsenal is that of false doctrine, deceptive teaching, theology that misrepresents God and his word. And what does it lead to? Well, Paul says it leads to people's consciences being seared. It leads to legalism, we'll see elsewhere in 1 Timothy. It leads to hypocrisy. And ultimately, it destroys people's faith. In uh, chapter 1, verse 19, Paul says, Hold on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have shipwrecked, have suffered shipwreck with regards to their faith. They've suffered shipwreck with regards to their faith. Holding on to sound doctrine, it keeps us safe. Safe from our faith being smashed against the rocks. And Paul makes this clear in chapter 4, doesn't he? Chapter 4, verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save yourself and your hearers. Right living, sound doctrine, to stray away from this, to float away from this, it can shipwreck your faith, it can, it can trash your salvation. And so Paul is telling Timothy, keep an eye on it. Keep an eye on it because your life depends on it. Now, some of you uh, will know that, um, that I grew up in the Mormon church. Um, I've, got a, I've, got a, I've got a brother who grew up in the Mormon church as well, Jason, we found out the other day. Um, uh, and Jason can verify all of this, that I'm about to say. Um, the Mormon church, it's, um, it's founded by a guy called Joseph Smith, uh, a guy who claimed to receive extra revelation from God outside the Bible. Uh, and he, with that extra revelation, he, he imposed a whole bunch of rules and regulations and rituals on people that it, they had to do if they wanted to be saved. If they wanted to be friends with God, you had to do X, Y, Z, you had to do all this stuff. But Joseph Smith, he was a hypocrite. Because on the one hand, he was burdening people with works and legalism, making them earn their salvation. Uh, but on the other hand, he was taking for himself many wives, even taking the wives of other men. And what does Paul call people who, who preach false doctrine like this? Well, he doesn't pull his punches. He calls them hypocritical liars. And why is he so harsh? Why is he so harsh with them? Because people's eternal future, it depends on it. You see, when I came out of the Mormon church and I heard the great news of Jesus and I heard that Jesus had died for me and I heard that Jesus had paid the penalty for my sin and that forgiveness was available and that eternal life was graciously on offer through faith alone. When I, when I heard that for the first time, I felt two things. The first thing I felt was joy. I was freed from this legalism. I was freed from these rules. I was freed from this constant treadmill of, of working hard and wondering, always wondering, always pondering, always racked with guilt. Had I done enough to please God? Had I done enough to be saved? I was the joy I felt to be free from that burden. But the other thing I felt was I felt anger. I was angry because I had been deceived. I was angry because I had been tricked. I had been led astray and millions of other people were continued, continued to be deceived by this false teaching. Continued to be deceived into trusting into their own works, not to trust in Jesus and their eternal life was lost. It was lost because they were trusting 
in what they had to do, not in what Jesus had done. And I was angry because that is the tragedy of false doctrine, false teaching. People are being deceived, they're being led astray, they're abandoning the faith. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is going to talk about this false doctrine spreading. Spreading like gangrene, it infests and then it rots away at people's faith and at their salvation. I've been getting into the, uh, the First World War a bit recently, listening to some podcasts. Um, and one of the great challenges in the First World War was, uh, for Germany was how do they fight a, a war on two fronts with Russia on one side and the French and the British on the other side? And late in, late in the war, uh, Russian society was uh, crumbling back home. It was falling apart. And, and what Germany did to speed up the disintegration of the Russians was they hatched a plan. Uh, Lenin, the communist revolutionary, he was living in exile in Switzerland. And so what Germany did was they organized to have Lenin and his friends put in a sealed railway cart and, and kind of in the cover of darkness, uh, kind of put them on a train and, and, and drove the train through the battlefield into Russia and, and, and let him go in Russia as a way to speed up the process of the Russian breakdown. And so Lenin and his communist ideas, they arrive back home and, and these ideas spread throughout Russia, turning the whole society on its head, ultimately leading to Russia kind of collapsing and pulling out of the war. You see, it was a war of ideas that was going on. And those ideas were used by Germany as a weapon to bring their enemy down. And it's the same for us. There is a fight going on. The enemy of God's people would love nothing more than to spread misinformation amongst God's people, to deceive us, to divide a church through false ideas. And so Paul says to Timothy, he needs to be vigilant. We're not living in neutral territory. We're on a battlefield. There is no Switzerland. It is the Western Front. We need to watch our lives and our doctrine closely because the stakes are high. The stakes are so high, people's salvation depends on it. So how do we watch our life and doctrine? What does Paul say to Timothy? How does he do it? Well, we watch our life by continuing to train in godliness. We watch our life by continuing to train in godliness. Verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Paul says to Timothy, watch your life by working on godliness. Train in godliness. Practice it. Uh, in, my, in my life, I've done a, a marathon and a few half marathons. And one thing I know is that you don't wake up in the morning and decide to run a marathon. Unless you're Paul, you can do that. Um, you don't wake up in the morning and decide to run a marathon. You train. You prepare. You get ready. It is something that you work at. And Paul is saying it's the same with godliness. We're to work at it. We're to train at it. We're to practice it because it's not something that's going to come naturally to us. We're to work on our godliness. That is how we watch our life. And if you're wondering on what areas we might need to work on, well, Paul has some suggestions here for Timothy. And they're probably not bad ones for us to bear in mind. Verse 12, 
Paul says to Timothy, do not let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech. Work on godliness in your speech. In conduct, work on godliness in your conduct, how you treat people. Work on godliness in love, how you love people. Work on godliness in purity. If we're to be people who are watching our life, we need to be training in godliness, working on what we say and how we live, how we love, how we are pure. And Paul will say to Timothy that he ought to do these things in a way that is worthy of being imitated, worthy of being an example to others. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That someone might follow your example. Well, Paul says to Timothy, work on your godliness such that that would be a good thing for someone to do, to follow your example. What's your life? And how would he watch our doctrine? Well, it's given here in verse 13. Take a look at verse 13 with me. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to teaching. And now, what's Paul's top tip for watching his doctrine here? Well, it's to stick to the Bible. It's to be reading the Bible and teaching the Bible. It's to be preaching the Bible. It's to be sharing the Bible with others. Uh, The great reformer John Calvin said this, No one can get even the slightest taste of right doctrine and sound doctrine unless he is a pupil of Scripture. Read the Bible, studying God's Word. Later in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul will write this, and I'm sure you've heard it before, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. And why? So the servant of God may be thoroughly puffed up with their understanding of doctrine? No. So the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, there we see again, life and doctrine, they, they go together. So watch your doctrine by getting stuck into the Bible. It will prepare you for a life of godliness. It will help train you in godliness. So how are you going at those things? How are you going at watching your life? How are you going at watching your doctrine? How are you going at watching your life? How are you going at training in godliness? When was the last time you, you, you really wrestled with some sin? You became acutely aware that there was a sin in your life that needed to be dealt with. When was the last time that happened? And you took drastic steps to root it out. When was the last time you asked someone to keep you accountable to a particular thing, a particular area that you needed to work on? When was the last time you stepped out of your comfort zone to to serve, to love, to, to just do the right thing, to be godly? And we've just finished looking up, uh, looking at the first uh, seven chapters of Matthew, and we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And I, it was a series I found immensely helpful because it woke me up. God's word it woke me up to a whole bunch of things that I'd just been letting slide. Areas where I dropped the ball. Areas where I wasn't working on my godliness. Paul says, watch your life. Train in godliness. 
And how are you going at watching your doctrine? How are you going at reading your Bible? Listening to God speak? How are you going at sharing it with others? I mean, how are we ever going to, how are we ever going to make sure that we've got sound doctrine if we're, if we're never opening the word up and reading what it says? Like, honestly, what hope do we have? I mean, do you need to make a plan? Has your Bible reading fallen off and do you need to make a plan for how you're going to get stuck into God's Word again? Do you need to grab some Bible reading resources? You don't know where to start. You don't know what to do. Um, you need to grab something that's going to help you navigate your way through reading the Bible. Do you need to grab a friend, find someone who you can read the Bible with? I'm sure this room is full of people who would love the opportunity to do that with you. Now put on the comment card. We'll find someone to read the Bible with you. Do you need to join a community group? So there's a regular time each and every week where you gather with God's people again to read the word together so that you might watch your doctrine. Wherever you're at, what is the next step for you in this? Because in this series on sound doctrine, we're going to be watching our lives and we're going to be watching our doctrine closely. In this series on sound doctrine, we're going to have our Bibles open and our lives open. We're going to be in the Word and we're going to let the Word get into us. Because if at the end of this series we've learned a lot about doctrine and we've not grown in godliness, if we've dealt with heresy but not dealt with sin, well, that's, that's going to be a fail. That's actually not sound doctrine. That's not, that's not what Paul is talking about here. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Uh, Toza, the um, pastor and theologian, said this, There is scarcely anything so dull and meaningless as Bible doctrine taught for its own sake. Truth, divorced from life, is not truth in a biblical sense, but is something else and something less. Truth, divorced from life, is not truth, but is something else and something less. Be prepared as we go through this series together to have your life opened to the truth of God's Word so that you may be able to watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save yourself and your hearers. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the privilege of hearing you speak, Lord. We pray that as we open up your word each and every week, that we might open our lives to be changed by that word. Lord, as we read the Bible together, that we might open our minds to what it has to say about who you are and about who we are, how we might be saved. Lord, we pray that you might through this time, help us to watch our lives and our doctrine closely. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.